what do you think of when you think about the Bible? Oh, the Bible. That's an interesting question. Um, whenever I think of the Bible, I think of um, challenging. Well, just like humanity, there's parts of it that I wouldn't be proud of. I think of the thousands and thousands of years that have been spent uh, in blood and in toil uh, to bring a historical document to me that uh, I do not read enough. Um, complex. Everyone understand that there's a manufacturer for every product on the face of this earth. So we, being made in the likeness and the image of God, the Bible in essence is our manual. When I think about the Bible, I think of knowledge, love, grace, and like God's mercy on his people. What do you think of when you hear of like God's rules? Rules are meant to be broken. This is where it gets crazy, right? I mean, I, I guess we try as hard as we can to live in that idea of it, but how it's interpreted is God's law is interpreted through individuals. I think that God's rules are, are, are God's. Um, I'm just a player in the game, and sometimes I don't know what the rules are. I do think that God's rules are a good thing. From where I am and my understanding of who God is, it's only natural for a parent to set boundaries and limitations for their kids, keep them out of trouble. I would say they're good if executed correctly. Well, hey, let's celebrate being in church together this morning. What's up? Man, if you're brand new with us today, we're so glad you're here. Online family, we love you. Make sure you type in the chat where you're watching from and uh, how we can be praying for you. We've got online hosts there as well. And, and just kind of a side note, we just talked about serving uh, at Easter. There's also online options to serve, and so make sure you ask your host about that today. But uh, if you don't know what ACF Church is about, we exist to amplify the grace of Jesus to the church the unchurched, and the dechurched. And so uh, if you're in any of those category, categories, we just encourage you to be here, be present from where you're at here uh, today. And uh, we are actually in a series leading up to Easter called Sin. And I told somebody earlier this week, this is like a, it's a space maker series. That's kind of what it is. It's because not a lot of people really want to wake up on a Sunday morning, get out of bed, you know, when it's cold outside and show up to church and, you know, hear about their sin. And yet here all of you are, right? And here all of you are online. And, and so I just, I love that we lean in on these conversations and that so many of you are like, man, let's just talk about it. Let's be honest about our struggles. Let's be honest about our sin. Let's not act like it's not there and call it like, a mistake or brokenness. Let's call it for what it is. But then also, as we understand what it is, we understand the cross in a deeper way. And so we love to celebrate Easter. It's going to be a huge outreach to our community. And I just promise you, if you'll lean in through this series and get real and honest about the parts of your life that even you know are just not as you want them to be, I think that you're going to have the best Easter ever. Like really, it's going to lead to the best celebration because uh, to the degree that we understand our sin, uh, we also will understand the goodness of Jesus through the cross. And so as we understand our sin greater, we understand his grace uh, is greater in the end. And uh, this, that's just such good news, you guys. Like, that, that, that Jesus is so much better at giving grace than you are at sinning in the end. Like, you can't out-sin his grace. 
And so uh, that's what the series is about. And um, we're acknowledging and being honest about our own struggles. And I'll be the first to say, like, I struggle with sin. I have things in my life that I feel like I get freedom from. And then the next minute later, like, there I am again. Anybody been there? Right? Like, in fact, I, I think we actually have footage of me doing this very thing. Do we have? Listen to me getting set free by Jesus. Freedom. Oh my goodness. Anybody relate to that? Be honest. Hands in the room. All right. All right. Rest of you liars, right? We've all been there where we want to get free from something we do. And then there we are again, desperately in need of saving. And here's what you need to know about that is that Jesus is always there to save. And uh, we will continue to struggle to the moment that we move from this life to the next, and yet Jesus is always there to save. Now, we do have a definition of sin that we're working with, and it's this. Sin is missing the mark of God's character and perfection. It's just any time we miss the mark. And there are different kinds of sins. There's sins of omission and sins of commission, sins of doing the wrong thing or sins of not doing the right thing. And any time we do that, just a degree off, a fraction off of what God has called us to, that's, that's sin. That's missing the mark. And in the end, it's, it's us missing the mark of what God has designed us for. Because you are actually created as a being of worship. You're created to live like God in holiness. And when we don't live in holiness, we're actually living outside of our design. And so the Bible, the character of God, the things that we talk about here are all intended to get us back to who we are intended to be to teach us how to be humans. And today I want to talk about this from a, from a different angle. Uh, Proverbs 16.2 says this. It says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Now here's the deal. I, I think a lot of us, when we think of our motives, we think of why we do what we do, we tend to think that they're pure. I tend to think I'm doing the right things for the right reasons. But what I want to talk about today is that our motivation matters. Like, it matters more than we realize. And I think for a lot of Christians, we can tend to get all messed up because our motivation is wrong. And so I want to start by asking you, like, what motivates you? What drives your life? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Why did you show up to church today? Why are you watching online today? What is it that motivates you? It's interesting, I think different things motivate different people, right? Um, and, and some people might look at different generations and say, oh, those, you know, the, the, those Gen Zers or whatever, they need to get motivated. But I promise you, like, every generation is motivated. We're all motivated by different things, but we are motivated. Uh, like, you might go, oh, that teenager, he's not motivated, but he's really motivated to play Call of Duty, right? And, uh, you know, he's really motivated to take a nap, whatever it is. But you're, like, he's motivated for the things that he's doing. And you're like, well, he needs to get motivation. It all just depends on what drives your life. That we are all motivated people for different things. In fact, in 2023, a lot of people have uh, written a lot about motivation because uh, many, especially Americans, have lost their motivation. Uh, we see a lot of businesses that can't find people to work. There's a lot of people that are doing something that's become known as quiet quitting. And quiet quitting is just a phrase to describe somebody who still physically shows up at work, but mentally and emotionally, they quit years ago. And so they quietly quit, but they're still there getting a paycheck, but they're not really there. And maybe you're like, that's me. I have a job like that. I have quietly quit. I'm, I'm not really 
motivated for what I'm doing anymore. Motivation matters. It matters for parents, right? Because we want our children to do the right things even when we're not looking, right? And we know that if they do the right thing when we're looking, that's, that's a start. But we want their motivation not to simply be to obey me, just to obey me, but we want them to want something better for themselves. We want them to, to want the right thing, not just to do the right thing because we want them to. Does that make sense? And I would say that there's a, a bunch of different motivators. I want to talk about three that we see in the Bible. And the first motivator is the motivation of guilt. And maybe you've been there before where you've been motivated by guilt. And guilt, although a, is a fairly strong motivator, it's, uh, it's very short-lived. If you've ever been motivated by guilt, it does not last long. But it can be a strong motivator. Some of you have friends who motivate by guilt, right? They make you feel bad, so you do things, and the whole time, you're bitter, right? Because you're operating from guilt. Some of you grew up in churches where that's kind of what you were taught, is that you should live out of a place of guilt. And so you've done a lot of things, like even good things, from guilt, and maybe you stopped doing those things. You stopped going to church. You, you, you just realized, man, re- religion isn't for me because you felt some sort of guilt, which at the root of unhealthy, godless religion is a motivation of guilt because guilt leads to a works-based righteousness, that if I can do enough good stuff and, 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 and align my life with the things of God, then I'll be okay, and I'll feel like he loves me a little bit more, and it's just an empty pursuit in the end. So there's guilt as a motivation. Another motivation that we see is glory. Uh, Some of you here might not be motivated by guilt. You don't feel bad about yourself. You feel like you're awesome, right? You're like, I'm actually amazing. And I'm actually hoping to get more amazing so that more people will tell me that I'm amazing, right? And so my life is all about the accolades of others, what they think of me, what they see of me. This is kind of the whole thing of virtue signaling today. Or like we can't do good things for somebody without posting it on social media, right? Because we're driven by the accolades of others. We want glory. And so this is a huge motivator today. Just do good things, but we're doing them maybe for the wrong reasons, But the third motivator I want to talk about and spend this morning on is the motivation of grace. And this is the motivation of a follower of Jesus that understands the cross, that understands what it's actually like to be saved through Christ is to be saved by grace. And I want to to talk about that today because this is a motivation that lasts. This is a motivation that actually builds up the person that's doing the things, doing the stuff instead of breaking them down. Because your motivation matters. It's so important. And I'll tell you this, that doing the right thing for the wrong reason is, is sin. It's actually sin. And, and we don't always see that, but if we're operating and, and doing these things, but we're not doing them for the right reason, it ends up tearing us apart. And maybe that's why you left church years ago, or maybe that's why you tend to just kind of show up here and, and, and do the bare minimum of just like arrival at church and leaving church, because you're just kind of motivated either from guilt or glory. You're doing things for the wrong reasons, and that will not take you far at all. A few months ago, I had this moment where uh, like like a light bulb went off that I had just made a really big mistake. So um, I've got this Jeep Liberty that I bought years ago that's got a diesel engine in it. It's really uncommon, Um, and I'm a diesel mechanic, and so I bought it, and it's been a great little car, and I, I pulled into the gas station. A lot of times I get really distracted during my day because my mind's just run all over the place. And so um, my, my wife makes fun of me because I'll, like, I'll miss the exit that I'm supposed to take because I'm just thinking about a conversation I need to have or whatever. And so this was one of those days I'm like, I get to the gas station, I jump out, 
grab the handle, stick it in, start pumping fuel, get back inside, and it's, it's running. I'm that guy. I leave the vehicle running. I know. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I leave it running. I'm sitting there, and it's running away. I'm like taking notes, and all of a sudden, the engine starts going, <laughs> like making funny noises, shaking around, and it dawns on me. I'm filling my diesel up with gasoline. And I jump out, and I'm like, oh, I hope it's just been a little bit. It's like 20 gallons. And I <laughs> shut it off, and the motor's barely running, and I shut the stupid thing off. And literally just the day before, I told my 16-year-old daughter, if you ever fill this car up with, with gasoline, you will never drive again. And uh, you parents know how that goes, right? Like, we get humbled by the Lord to give grace to our children. And uh, so now I'm like, I don't even care. Just fill it up with gas, whatever, because I've done it, right? But here's the reason if you're like, I don't get why that's a big deal. Um, if you're not a car person or don't understand engines, when you fill up a diesel with gasoline, it can result in major internal damage, major damage to the engine. You see, the fuel matters, doesn't it? You want the right thing fueling your life. And if you don't have the right thing fueling your life, the right motivation for your life, it will result in major internal damage. And some of you today are still damaged from a shame-based, guilt-based religion that you were handed to years ago. Some of you today are, are damaging yourself by living for your own glory. And it's hurting you, and it's hurting your relationship with God and with, with others. And so any motivation that is not the motivation of the grace of Jesus is a motivation that will cause damage to your soul. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to spend a few moments there. And uh, this, is a, this Ephesians is a, is a letter written by a man named Paul. It's one of his prison epistles. He was writing them from jail. And he's writing to this church that he planted in Ephesus, which if you don't know about Ephesus, it's, it's a port city. Um, I've actually had a chance to, to be in Ephesus and, and to travel around that, that region. And uh, in this time, Ephesus was, is a hustling and bustling place, lots of people coming and going. But uh, a lot of people that, that were non-Jews, the Gentiles, that were coming to faith in Jesus. And, and in all their industry and growth, what's woven into kind of the way that they lived is this sort of like, I work so that I can survive. Like, I work hard so that I can achieve. It's a very achievement-based society. And what they've done is they brought that achievement-based focus of their lives into their relationship with God. So what Paul wants to do is help kind of reframe the way that they see their lives and ultimately the way that they see that they see God. He says this in Ephesians 2.1. He says, As for you, all of you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So Paul wants to start off with an understanding amongst the Christians that like, before you met Jesus, you were dead. Like, like, like you, you weren't just a, a little bit good and but you had some hard things in your life and some bad things. Like, like you were dead in your sins. And here's what I know. Dead people, what do they do? Absolutely nothing. What can they accomplish? Absolutely nothing, right? And, and I'll tell you that like this is important. He's framing things around this reality because for many of us, we like to assist God in our salvation. And we like to think that we were part of the whole deal. But the story begins with you being dead, right? Like you don't need CPR, you don't need resuscitation. You need resurrection when you're dead, right? You can't resuscitate a dead person. It doesn't work. And so he wants to frame this, this whole piece of text about this idea that, like, man, you are dead in your sins. Maybe you're like, well, I'm a decent person. No, no. It doesn't matter. And this is what people always do. They're like, well, you know, I'm not Hitler, but I'm not Mother Teresa. That's, 
These tend to be our standards. This is like, well, I'm not the worst person that's ever lived. I'm also not the best. I'm somewhere in the middle. But do you know in the kingdom of God, that does not exist. There is no middle ground in the kingdom of God. You are either part of the family of God or you're participating in the kingdom of darkness. You're either alive in Christ or you are dead in your sins. There is no middle ground today for you. And he says, all of you were, past tense, if you're, he's speaking to the church, you were dead, right? Like, like, you need to understand this, that good citizens are just as dead as murderers. It's just the state of decay that they're in. And, and you might think, oh, I'm better than that person, but you're still just as dead as anyone else apart from Christ. You see, I think a lot of times our motivation gets twisted when we forget who we were. We forget where we've come from. We forget that Christ has saved us from death. And that's why this is such an important place to start. So I want to ask you, do you remember who you were before Jesus? Have you spent any time lately just thinking about, this is who I used to be? And this is how far I've come. And I'm not who I want to be yet, but I'm so much different than who I used to be. And that's the celebration of any Christian. Man, like, I got so much work to be done, and, and I'll be the first to say that. There's a lot of work that God has left to do in me. But I am not who I used to be. Praise God. Now, some of you, you're here and you're like, well, Brian, I don't have a cool testimony because, you know, I grew up in the church. I hear that a lot. Remember, as a youth pastor years ago, a lot of our students would be like, man, I need to go build a cool testimony. It's like, don't do that, you know? I need to go make some stupid decisions so I can have a cool story. Do not do that. Like, if your story is that, like, you can't remember a time that you didn't know Jesus and your parents raised you in the things of God, that is a miracle. Like, that's, a, that's something to be thankful for. Like, how incredible that you were raised up in a family where your parents took you to church and they told you about Jesus and you knew about his grace from an early age. Like, that is a gift to celebrate. But you do have a testimony. And, 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 and here's how you know your testimony. Here's how you know what Christ has saved you from. Is you have moments in your life where you're not operating in the power of the Spirit, right? Where you speak words and you're like, okay, that didn't sound a whole lot like Jesus when I spoke to my, to my mom right, now, right there, or to my friend right there, or to my wife or husband. Like, and, and you know who you are when the pressure's on. You know, the, you know the tendencies you have and the struggles you have and the, the thoughts you have that you're like, oh man, if, if anybody in this room knew that thought, they would kick me out of this building. Like you know what those things are. And so I want you to know that's what Christ has saved you from because your testimony is this is who you would be apart from Jesus. And so you need to spend time like considering those things and going like, this is what Christ has saved me from and how, how sick would I be in a, on a daily basis? And although I've, I've got a lot of work left to be done, how sick would I be if Jesus wasn't working in my life? You have a story. You have something to be thankful for. Our motivation gets so twisted up. We forget why we do what we do when we forget what we've been saved from. Ephesians 2, 3 goes on. It says, all of us, again, this is for the whole crowd, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. In following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In other words, all of us at one time, and all of us still, even as Christians, sometimes follow our cravings. And this is what society says is, fulfill your cravings and you will experience satisfaction. And what we have learned as Christians is that that is a lie from the pit of hell. That if you fulfill your, your cravings and the cravings of your flesh, you will never be satisfied. This is the story of, of Solomon, right? Somebody who got everything he ever wanted, the richest man to have ever lived, richer than anybody that, that, that exists today. 
by today's standards. And at, at the end of his life, he was just like, you know, it was like chasing after the wind. I, 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 I thought I caught it, but I caught nothing. And I ended up empty and, and lost, and I, I never felt satisfied. That's why Jesus says, hey, come to me. I am living water. And if you drink of me, I will, I will turn into a well of living water, and it will always satisfy you. You will never need to drink again, right? That's what he says. And so Jesus calls him the bread of, the bread of life. And all these metaphors are to describe, like, the people. They needed water. They needed bread, but they needed it every day for them just to get by, and then the satisfaction would go away, and they'd, they would crave it again. And You guys know how it is, right? You get the new car, and you're like, I think I'm happy. A year later, you want something different. You get the flat screen, and then somehow they're making like a 150-inch flat screen now. You're like, oh, it's, mine's only a 129-inch flat screen. And so like, I'm so unsatisfied, and my flat screen's sad. I need a bigger one. And all of a sudden, you just you lose that sense of satisfaction. It's all a chasing after the wind. You fix one thing in your life, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I kicked that habit. And then, bam, where did this come from, right? I had no idea that I struggled in that way. This is the journey that we're on as people. We've been saved from things. We all at one point were following those desires. We all still sometimes follow those desires. And then he, he says something a little scary. He says, by, we were by nature at our core, not just something we do, but who we are, by nature, deserving of wrath. Now, wrath, that's not a popular uh, word today. Neither is sin. So anyway, we're, this is kind of a, a space maker series that we've got going on here. Clearing out rooms, so we've got enough seats for Easter. But sin, wrath, like not things we love to talk about in the church. But they're honest things, aren't they? And, and the truth is this, like, again, without Jesus, we are deserving of the wrath of God. And yes, God is gracious and he is loving, but he's also holy and just. And because he's holy and just, sin never goes unpunished, right? That would be an unjust God if sin went unpunished. And so for us, like, that's where we're headed apart from Jesus, is eternal separation and punishment that, that will come because of our sin. And so we are by nature deserving of the wrath of God, and we need to understand that again to know what we've been saved out of. So that we might have our hearts stirred and our affections stirred up in such a way that we are motivated by the right things, right? Jesus deals with the Pharisees. They, a lot of times, um, had the wrong motivations. And he, he's constantly calling them out because they felt very self-righteous. Because they actually did a lot of holy things. And see, this is the danger on either side of this. If you're motivated by glory or you're motivated, motivated by guilt, is you'll end up in one of these ditches, if you're motivated by, by glory, you'll, you'll, just, you'll just get all self-righteous. You'll feel like, man, I'm, I'm an amazing person apart from Jesus. If you're motivated by guilt, you'll fall into this self-hatred, right? And some of you are there today where you're like, I can't, literally can't stand myself. I can't stand to look at my face in the mirror because I hate myself so much. And these are the two ditches when your life is motivated by either guilt or by glory. And so for them, it was a lot of glory, they really wanted to be seen and heard and wanted people to just love them and think great things about them. And Jesus calls them out. Matthew 6, 2. He says, so when you give to the needy, which is something they were doing, is giving to the needy a good thing? Nod your heads. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's good. It's a good thing. Giving to the needy is good. He says, do not announce it with trumpets. He's not making something up here. This is what they were doing. Like, can you imagine if, as you're leaving church today, you go to the little black boxes that are over there on the, 
by the doors on the way out for your offering and you like drop a couple bucks in there and you pull out a trumpet and you're just like, y'all, I just gave to the Lord, you know, like, like, you are sick. What's wrong with you, right? But this is what they were doing. They'd gotten to this point. They were literally announcing that they had given an offering with a trumpet. He says, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Now listen to this call out. He says this. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, if you're doing good things to get the affection and accolades of others, that's all you're going to get. Jesus is literally saying like, I I hope that you're happy with what you got from somebody else for doing the right thing because that's all you're going to get for doing that thing, right? I mean, this is, this is kind of what we do today. It's, it's hard to do anything good without telling people about it, right? It's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to go on a mission trip without having to post it on Facebook and let everybody know that we went on a mission trip, right? I, I mean, this is, this is kind of what we, what we do is we want to shout out to the world, look at me, look how good I am, look what I've done. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong in and of itself of people seeing you do good. I mean, even in this idea of, like, having an offering, is it wrong for people to see you giving? Absolutely not. In, in fact, in, in the book of Acts, um, there's this moment, and, and Barnabas, he sells this piece of land, and he actually comes to the front of the church, and everybody sees him give the money to the church. But here's the deal. Like, they saw him give, and he gave, and he was seen, but he didn't give to be seen. Does that make sense? It's okay to be seen giving. It's not okay to give to be seen, right? It's no different than serving. We have people who are serving today. Thank you for serving. Thank you for making coffee for us. Thank you for helping us find our seats. Thank you for the band leading us today. And it is okay that people see you serving, but it's not okay to serve to be seen, right? Or to serve to get the accolades of others. Jesus would say, if you get a high five for serving today and that's why you're serving, I hope you're happy because that's all you're going to get because you're not getting my approval. And, and don't we know that the approval of, of others always fades, doesn't it? It always fades. It never satisfies. He goes on, verse 4 of Ephesians 2, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So you are made alive in Christ not once you do something, but when you're dead. And this is the key to the gospel. This is why it's such good news. It, it is what is it that you have to do to enter into the kingdom of God? Simply surrender to his grace. That's all you have to do. That's an invitation. But the problem is we tend to not realize that that salvation moment, we are saved by grace, that, that as we move through life, it's not like we're saved by grace the moment we give our heart to Jesus, but then the rest of our life we have to work for it. And some of you were literally taught that. Sure, you're saved by grace, but the rest of your life, if you want to keep that grace, you've got to work for it. That is, that is a false gospel. The truth of the gospel is we need the good news of Jesus every single day of our life. And he gives us grace abundantly for every single day of our life. You never graduate beyond the gospel. You never move beyond salvation by grace alone. This is the gift of God. But what tends to happen is we start to get motivated for the things of God, which is good want to do some good things with their life. That's great that you want to do those things. But oftentimes what happens is our, our, our motivation and our obedience starts to outpace our gratitude. 
doesn't it? It outpaces our gratitude. You see, when your obedience outpaces your gratitude, remember God's mercy. You need to just remember the mercy that he's poured out. That's why I wanted you to just do that exercise, like, what has Christ saved you from? Do you remember where you've come from? Can you consider who you'd be apart from Jesus? Because what will happen is if you don't have that as a, as a rhythm in your life, to start your day and go, man, thank you, Jesus, for saving me out of this. If you don't have that as a rhythm in your life of, like, I need mercy every single day, then you will start to get self-righteous. You'll start to, or you'll fall into shame once again. Well, we want to we be people who are obey, do the right things from a place of gratitude. We don't want to stop doing the right things. If you're like, well, if my motivation's wrong, I should just quit. No, just fix your motivation. Remember what you've been saved from, right? That's what Christ wants to do is, is heal you out of that stuff and give you his peace and give you a lasting satisfaction that can only come from him. In this, it just, this text just gets better. If you skip ahead to verse 8, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, whatever good things you've done in your life, and I hope you've done some good things. You probably have. You need to understand that you're not saved from good works, but you're saved for good works. And James talks about this idea that faith without works is actually a dead faith. That your faith should result in a changed life, but you're not saved from those good works. You're saved for those good works that God is calling you into. And then he goes on in verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork. Just, just realize that. Like, God made you. You're created in his image. You have value. Man, he, he's created you with a purpose. It goes on. It says, created in Christ Jesus. Why were we created in Christ Jesus? To do good works. Like, you were made to work. I don't know if you know this. You were made to work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so in, woven into the human um, heart is this like we were made to, made to work and, and find joy in our toil. Do you know that in the garden, before sin entered the world, God actually had Adam and Eve work the garden? So work existed before sin, okay? So do you know that like in eternity, we're going to have jobs, we'll have things that we're doing, and here's the difference, we're going to love it. We're going to love every second of it. We'll wake up excited to go to work, right? You work at church. You should love your job. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. It's good. Praise God. That was awesome. So good. But I get it, right? Like, sometimes we, we don't look forward to coming to work, right? Sometimes it's just a hard day, you know? In ministry, sometimes I'm like, man, I don't want to answer these emails today, or I don't want to deal with this hard issue, and... And isn't that true that like sometimes you lose your joy in work? And even, even when you're called to it, you're like, Brian, I'm doing something I'm not called to. I have no joy. Listen, you need to understand this. Whatever you do during your day for work is your holy calling by God. And I know you're like, but Brian, maybe I'm washing dishes. I don't care if you're washing dishes or doing heart surgery. You have a holy calling by God to do those things. It is a good work that you're to do to the glory of God. At all times, in all ways. What's a tragedy is when people read this, they're like, oh, created in Christ Jesus to get into full-time ministry and become a pastor. Maybe, but maybe not. Like, maybe it's not what you're called to do. Maybe you, and it's a tragedy that you would see what you do as any less holy of a calling than what I do. Your job is as holy of a calling as my job. 
You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works in every single way. So how do we not understand this grace thing without cheapening it or abusing it? And, and I've always wrestled with this idea. And um, A lot of people get, get uncomfortable when churches talk about grace a lot because they're like, oh, don't give people license to sin, right? But here's what I, I believe, that the more grace you understand, if you understand the grace of Jesus for what it is, it is what motivates life transformation. It is what motivates the change that needs to happen in your life. I want to draw something out real quick for you. This is something that a few years ago, I was wrestling with this in bed one night, just grabbed a napkin and scribbled this out. But this is just like what made, made sense to me uh, in terms of our tendencies as we go throughout life. But as we grow through life, what we grow in is an awareness of two things. As I talked a couple weeks ago, we start by growing in an awareness of grace, Right? And right now, whatever awareness of God's grace that you have, I hope it's more tomorrow than it was today. I hope it's more at the end of this sermon than it was when you walked in here today. So we grow in an awareness of grace. That's, that's important to grow in awareness of grace. But that's not the only thing that we need to grow in awareness of. The reason we have this series is because we're also growing in awareness of sin, right? Because uh, here, I'm just going to tell you, that I am on a lifelong journey of growing in awareness of my sin. Like, if you're here and you're like, Brian, I think I've kind of I've mastered my sin. You just sin, just so you know. Like, you don't understand yourself the way that you think you understand yourself. Like, I know people who think that they have achieved perfection on earth. And I'm just telling you. Like, yes, Jesus sees you as pure and holy and righteous. You've been justified in his eyes. But you will never, for this life, end the journey of sanctification, being made holy by God. Like that's a journey till the day you die. You will have things to confess on your deathbed, I promise you. And so we want to we make sure that as we're going through life that we're growing in awareness of grace but also growing in awareness of sin. Because here's kind of some pitfalls. If we grow in awareness of grace but not sin, what we end up is in a place of license. And to be in a place of license is to think, man, we should just sin so that grace might abound, right? I mean, Romans 6, 1 talks about this. Should we keep on sinning so, so that grace might abound? Paul says this, absolutely not. That's to abuse the grace of God. But there's a lot of people that live that way. Oh, God's just going to forgive me. That's it's no big deal, right? I can say what I want, do what I want. Jesus is always going to forgive me. And the truth is, he, he does forgive you. But at some point, you have to wonder, like, if that's how you live, have you tasted his grace for what it is? And so there's that pitfall. The other pitfall is this. It's called legalism. This is what Jesus challenges the Pharisees in, right? Like in Matthew 23, he, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Like that they, they, they look all holy and righteous on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones, right? Just, just full of death on the inside. And that's a lot of people that live in legalism, right? You, you look all holy on the outside, but man, you're doing things for the wrong reasons. To be seen by others. Uh, there, there's part of you that still thinks God loves you a little bit more than the person next to you who can't get their life together. And so for you, you've fallen into a place of legalism. And so what we want is a new motivation, right? That's why when Jesus is asked, like, what is the greatest commandment? He gives them one word, and it's love, Right? We want to be people motivated by love, right? It says, love God and love your neighbor. And here's what we know about love. Love's hard. It's the hardest. It's harder than following the rules 
That's why Jesus, when he said, love God and love your neighbor, he wasn't lowering the bar. He was actually raising the standard and saying, man, this is the highest calling is to grow in a place of love. And so here's, here's what I hope. I hope if you've been a Christian for five minutes, you're like, oh man, I'm sinful, right? You're about here, but then you're understanding God's grace. And so your picture of the cross is about something like that. Like, man, the cross is beautiful. It's good. Man, Jesus saved me. How, how good is that that he saved me? But here's what's going to happen is if you go on a journey with Jesus, you're going to grow in a greater awareness of sin. But my heart for you is that you also grow in a greater awareness of his grace, and so your view of the cross begins to grow. And so then I hope as your life moves on, your cross grows, and then I hope when I'm 80 years old, God willing, if I make it to that point, that I have a view of God's grace in my sin that is so large that I understand the grace of Jesus and, and understand his love for me in a new way, in a better way than I've ever understood it my entire life. My heart for you is that, man, the cross would be something you understand is greater than ever as you grow in understanding of both grace and sin. I believe that this matters for you, and uh, I hope that today you'll take some time and reflect, like, what drives me? Do I want to be seen by others? Am I just... Am I doing good things because I feel shame? But it also matters for us as a church family because I believe that God is calling us to incredible things here in Alaska and beyond. Through us in this room, for those of you who are online, like God, again, has a holy calling on your life to move the kingdom of God forward, to share the gospel with our city and with the world. So here's the deal. I believe that your motivation determines our momentum as a church. Your motivation What drives the things you do will determine our momentum as a church. Because here's the thing. If you're driven by by just this place of shame and and guilt, you're really living in a place of law, right? And see, we, we no longer live under the law of sin and death. We live under the law of grace. And although, yes, the Bible is full of these thou shalt's and thou shalt not's, those still exist. We are motivated not by fulfilling the law because Jesus already did that. We're motivated by the grace of Christ. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is what motivates us. And if you're here today and you're motivated by anything else, then you are actually being taken out of the game. You're not being effective for the kingdom as God has for you. So here's an example. So um, it's like tax season, right? In case you didn't know. Tax season, helping you out there. Who here has ever decided to intentionally pay more on your taxes than you had to? Anybody? Like, I just want to give the IRS a little bit more, just because I want to, not because I have to. Man, I just feel so generous today, right? A couple thousand bucks. Let me, just, let me just give more of myself. No, of course not. What do you do? You pay exactly what they ask, if not a little less, right? That's the goal. I want to pay as little as possible to not end up in prison. And a lot of people, when your motivation's skewed, like, that's, that's your walk with Jesus. So it's no wonder that you're feeling kind of ineffective for the kingdom of God. Because your motivation's kind of messed up. If you get a whole church of people that have a skewed motivation, either for their own glory or, you know, out of this, this place of, of shame and guilt, then that's a church that's not effective for the kingdom. But when you understand the cross for what it is, and you wake up and you go, man, I, my sin is great, but his grace is greater, you're going to go to work and you're, you're going to be like, I've got some good news for you. Here's the deal. I, I honestly believe this. I believe that Christians don't share the good news of Jesus because to them it's no longer good news. If it was actually good news, 
you would share it. And so I can be like, hey, go tell people about Jesus. Invite them to Easter. That's great. You're going to be like, yeah, maybe I'll do that just because you asked me to with one or two people. But when you wake up tomorrow morning and you have the weight of your sin in your face and the even greater weight of God's grace in your face, you will go out and share the gospel with power. I promise you, you will. I mean, classes are great and apologetics are great, but when somebody, great, but when somebody understands the grace of Jesus, they will share the good news in a powerful way. And so hear me on this too. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've not stepped into the family of God, I want to invite you to do that today. And the whole theme of this message is that you don't have to do anything but surrender to him to join in the family of Jesus. That's all you have to do. And I know, man, I know there's a struggle. And maybe you're like, Brian, um, do I have to stop cussing to become a Christian? Here's the answer. Nope, you don't. Brian, Brian, do I have to stop smoking pot to become a Christian? You don't. Just offended some religious people. I'll, tell, I'll get to you in a second. Brian, do I, do I have to stop sleeping around to become a Christian? No. Do I have to kick my porn habit to become a Christian? You do not. I mean, think of the thief on the cross, right? In this moment, he cries out for mercy, and Jesus says, hey, if you go fix your lust issue, then you'll be saved. Hey, if you go make it right with that person that you said wrong things to, then maybe I'll forgive you. No, Jesus says, today you will see me in paradise. He had no opportunity to fix those things. Why? Because you are saved by grace alone, through faith, not in your works, or you would boast, but in Jesus, his finished work. It's done. It's done. You just have to receive it. You just have to receive it. And again, as we follow Jesus, he will change your desires. In case you were scared about that whole illustration. When you follow Jesus, he will change your desires. But again, those are marks of salvation. They are not a means to salvation. Amen? And so I want us to pray here for a moment. And uh, in fact, is the prayer team here? We've got a prayer team today. Would you guys come forward? and just be in front of the stage. A few people are going to come up. And uh, we had a moment to pray as a church about a month ago. And we just want to do this on a monthly basis and offer you a chance that if you need healing today, that we could pray for you. If you feel like, man, you've been caught up in shame today, that we want to pray for you. If you've been living for your own glory today, we want to pray for you. If there's just something that's weighing you down, I don't care what it is, we want to pray for you. So as we worship in the next few moments, encourage you just to come up these aisles and uh, the people here would just be honored to lift you up in prayer. Would you just bow your heads for a moment as we pray? I want you to just ask Jesus this question. Have I been trying to earn your love? Others of you need to ask this question. Have I been living for the love of others. Father, today we want to be motivated by grace. We don't want to diminish your grace in any way or add anything onto salvation by grace alone. And yes, God, there's so many things to do and so many ways that we can grow, and we know that, God, but we first start off as sinners in need of your mercy. God, would you show us the weight of our sin for a moment, God? I'm just convinced and just thankful, God, that you don't show us all of our sin all at once. God, I, I believe that if you showed me all my sin right now, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. 
But in your love and your mercy, God, you reveal it to us a little bit at a time. And at the same time, God, you graciously reveal to us your mercy. God, thank you so much that your mercy and your grace are always greater than our sin. So God, I pray the cross would be something greater for our church than it's ever been this Easter. God, that we'd live from a place of being rescued from death into life. And God, that we would walk in that new life that you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Come on up and get prayer if you can.